Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have, as we've gone through the book of Matthew, we have seen, studied how Matthew has presented the Messiah. We've been focusing on the Messiah going through the book of Matthew, and we've seen how this Jewish man has presented the Jewish Messiah to the people and how he has declared his lineage and uh, that he is actually the Messiah to come and then his message that he began to come and we saw that again changing the way that you think repent change the way you think and then he went through then the kingdom teaching talking about how it was different and how it was higher and how it was um, definitive that there was no middle ground in in between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men, and how you think that God wants you to have a kingdom mindset, not the mindset of the world. With that, we discussed then, um, over that time, that um, he spoke as one who had authority, and so we began then to look at the fact that Jesus then began to reveal the power that was behind the authority, that all authority has to be followed, has to be backed by by power. And so we saw that over the last month, we looked at Jesus' authority over disease and nature, over demons and over sin and over death and over handicaps. Today, we're going to see now the beginning, as we look today, um, at the end of chapter 9, and then again next week, we're looking, we'll finish it out as we go into chapter 10. We'll begin to see the expansion, if you would, of his ministry. Okay, And so I've titled this looking at his disciples, but his disciples, which includes us, are the expansion of the ministry of the Messiah. And I think we need to see ourselves in this light. So Paul said to Timothy um, that he was to take the things which he had learned from Paul, and he was supposed to do what with it? Pass it on. That's right. Give it to faithful men who would be what? Teach others as well. And so the, other, the idea then is this process of discipleship. That Jesus began, what we're going to be looking at today, Jesus began a process. He actually began it when he saw Peter and Andrew, James and John, and he told them to what? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so he began then to give the teaching, but now he's, he's, he's going he's to give them authority. He's going to empower them, and he's going to send them out. And they're going to begin to do this process where they then are going to be going out and proclaiming the message. This is the first step. They weren't necessarily at this very moment going out and making disciples themselves and expanding. That's going to be three years down the road. But there's a part of the discipleship process where you're making disciples and you're teaching them and you're training them and you're equipping them that you start to send them off to do the the work. Sometimes it's done right. Sometimes it's not done as right. Does that make sense? But there's a point where you send somebody off to what? To do it. That's part of the discipleship process. And so, what we're going to begin looking at today then, for the next at least two weeks, is looking at his disciples. And so, the, 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 um, the setting, if you would, the, the background, is extremely important. That's why we're starting this in the end of chapter 9, okay? Because Jesus is 
we've seen Jesus as we've gone through 8 and 9. He's traveling about the Sea of Galilee, going from one side to the other side. He's healing people. He's seeing people. He's casting out demons. He's, he's on the go, okay? And so his disciples have been hanging out with him. Remember how we talked about that when we looked at the, the, the Moniacs and we talked about the, the, um, the, the Swinerds, okay? And the, the people that were around it, how they were impacted by these things. And Jesus didn't have to take his disciples with him when he did these things. He could have just went and did it. But there was a reason why he took them along, and that was so that they could learn and they could see and they could, they could grow. So, what we see here at the end of chapter 9 then, as we go into this passage, is that Jesus now, okay, verse 35, went, went about all the cities and villages, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, doing those things which he had been doing, healing the sickness and every disease among the people. So we're not, we didn't get a full account of everything he's done. He's just continued to do this. And as he's continued to do this, he's been taken along, his disciples. Now, we're going to talk about 12 specific ones, right? But the reality is that there were a whole lot more people following him. He chooses 12 to be closer to an inner, a closer circle, if you would. And then we know, I mean, this is kind of an aside, but we know that even within the 12, there was an inner circle of how many? Of three. And who were they? Peter, James, and John. So we, we get that, okay? So there's this multitude that's following him, okay? There are many people who are following him, but of those people, he selected 12. And of those 12, he even then had an inner core of three, okay? And that those three went up with him. We'll see this when we get to, I think, chapter, not, not 13, uh, 14, 15. Um, I believe it's 15. Anyways, where he goes up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. All 12 don't get to go with him, only three, okay? And when he go into the garden and they're praying... And all the, the, the disciples are left at the, the, the gate, if you would. There are only three that are taken further back with them. So Jesus does these things, okay? And he's separating up. But look at what happens here when, as Jesus is going around. Verse 36. But when he, that is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was what? He was moved with compassion. Now, the people here, okay, the multitude... It's not just a, long, a large number. When you see the word multitude, it's a rabble. It's a motley crew. It's literally, achlas is the, is the word. And it, and it literally refers to just this, this wide array of things, okay, of people, okay? And so it's not like these were all um, orderly, um, committed followers. It was a rabble that was just kind of following him, okay? Some were following him for good reasons. Probably some were following him for bad reasons. Some were following him just to see the, the show. Make sense? Sounds, sounds sad. But, hey, man, you know, we heard about these demons being cast out. I want to see some of that, too. Make sense? And so, so there's all this grouping. But Jesus knows every single one of them individually. And as Jesus looked on this, this motley group of people, he didn't see them as wearisome. He didn't see them as burdensome. He didn't see them as getting in the way. Rather, the word that's there is the word where we get our word spleen from. Splanknon. And so this is the, the, um, the verb form of that. I mean, how do you get a verb form of that, right? But it's splankitsomai, and so it's actually a participle, okay? And so the, you have your splanknon, which was your, your innards, okay? And so the idea is... You're feeling something deep down inside. 
and it wasn't your chili that you ate last night, okay? You're feeling something deep down inside. And he's being controlled, if you would, okay? Not like he's out of control, but this is welling up within him. He's looking at the people, and it doesn't give him heartburn. Make sense? I'm an introvert. Multitudes don't excite me. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, multitudes should excite me. He looked on the people and he saw them as ones who had no no shepherd. They had been just cast aside. And so he looked on them with great compassion. This is amazing. And look what he says then as a result of this compassion that he has for them. He said to his disciples then, okay, so these guys that are right close to him, he said, look, the harvest is truly plentiful. He's looking at a rabble. He's looking at a motley group. And he's telling his disciples what? Think about it. What is he saying? Come on. These people, not they need to be saved. They're ripe for it. They're ripe for it. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Look at all these people. They've come to see the show. They've come to hear the word. Whatever it is, they have a little bit of what? Curiosity. A little bit of desire. Whatever it is that brought them here, look, they're here. But the laborers to go minister among them are few. Now, could God talk? Jesus is God, right? Could God talk to each one of those individuals in their ear, specifically? And not need laborers? He could do that. But Jesus wanted to incorporate His disciples in His work. For us, for them, for us, to do the work of the ministry. He doesn't need us to do it. He wants us to do it. And so, He is full of compassion. That splinkitsomai is welling up within Him. And so, with that, He turns to His disciples. He says, look, do you see it? Do you see it like I see it? That's part of that changing the way you what? Think. Are you looking like the world looks? How are we going to feed all these people? We'll get to there in a few, few months, right? How are we going to feed all these people? Don't think like that. What an opportunity I have. That's how we're supposed to think. That's what Jesus thought. Jesus saw the people. He had compassion for them. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. His passion that he had is seen as well then by Peter. And uh, when he went before um, Cornelius... And he wasn't allowed to go there because of the law, right? But as a Jew, he went. And as he began to speak, Cornelius and all these Gentiles who were in the house with him did what? They came to know Christ. And and Peter says an amazing thing for a Jew. Okay, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. And you all know, we quote a lot, right? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. So 1, 2, 3, 4. If you ever want to memorize that, it's 1, 2, 3, 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Okay? 1, 2, 3, 4. It, got it down, Pat? 1, 2, 3, 4. It's the basic. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? There is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Okay? It's God's desire. And so Peter recognizes it when he goes to Cornelius' house. He's thinking he shouldn't go anywhere near that because he's a Jew. But God reveals to him, no, God has a compassion for some people. He has compassion for all people. God has a desire for all people to be saved. It's a consistent thing for him. Now, here, very clearly, we're going to see as we go on, because this is the, the his compassion, which is going to be the motivation for what he's going to do next, okay? And that is he's going to commission his disciples, okay? So he has his compassion, and his compassion is going to work out into a commission, okay? And the commission is for you and I. And so we know, though, that God had, uh, Jesus had declared, as the Father sent me, this is later on, right? But as the Father sent me, so send I you, okay? And so he's going to commission his disciples in the same manner that he was commissioned by the Father, okay? And so the first thing we see is their authorization. You say, well, authorization is a big term, but the idea of an authorization, when you have receive an authorization, that means that you have received what? Authority. Someone has given you the authority to do something. So, Jesus, who has all authority, gives his disciples authority that he already just revealed that he had, but he gives them authority to do what? Cast out unclean spirits. He gives them authority to heal all sorts of sicknesses and diseases. They have the authority. Now, again, authority has to be backed up with what? power okay and so in this these verses we read that he gives them power but literally the word is exousia okay and so in verse one it says he gave them power the word is exousia he gave them authority okay so this is very very important because they in and of themselves didn't have any power jesus gave them authority does that make sense whose power was going to cast out the demons Jesus is God's whose power was going to heal the sick God's whose power was going to take care of the diseases God's not their own power they weren't going to see the the broken leg or whatever you know and set it themselves and it was all going to be glory to them it's still going to be glory to God who had given man the authority to be able to do these things I find it interesting at this stage when Jesus is giving specific authority, do you note one of the things that he did, one of the, 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 the signs of his authority and his power that we saw as we went through, that he did not give to his disciples? Say it again, Andrew. Well, no, he gives them, that's unclean spirits, his demons. Sins. He didn't give them the authority at this moment to forgive sins. That comes later. But at this point, he doesn't give them that authority. There's a process of discipleship that's going on here. Does that make sense? Jesus is going to send these guys out to represent him. And he doesn't give them, what? Open-ended authority. Okay? Power. Authority. It's, it's defined. Okay? He brings them together, and he defines this thing. And the first thing, though, that is very important is he gives them this authorization. Okay? Where we're going to spend our time, the rest of the time today, um, in... I don't feel like I have the time to go 
through the rest of this today, okay? Um, and that's why we're going to stop it um, after this next part, the direction that he gives them. Because this is exciting where we go here with this. Know what he's going to say to them as he comes to them. He, he calls them, verse 1, right? He calls them. He gives them, right? And now he, he gives them the authority, but now he's going to give them some directions. And these directions are very important. Because at first, his first command to his disciples was, follow me. And now he's going to tell them what? Go. And not go away from me, but in a sense, the one was, come toward me. And this time he's going to tell them what? In a sense, go away from me. You need to go. Okay? Not just come, you need to go. You did come, and you came to Christ. But now in coming to Christ, he teaches you, he equips you, and then he does what? He sends you out. Okay? And I hope as we go through this, we're going to see that this command that he's going to give us, or to his 12, is the same command that he gives to all of us when he leaves. And so he says to them right off the bat, note the word go numerous times here. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, again, if you would, the command of Christ was, Go. I want you to, to go. And now he's going to give them some, some qualifiers of the going. The first qualifier is their target. Note what he says. I only want you to go to who? To Israel. Okay? And he makes it very specific because he first starts off saying, Do not go to the way of the Gentiles. Why do you think he stated that? There's a couple reasons. What's one of them? Why would he even state that to them? Why would that even be something he had to tell them? Okay, okay. on the positive side, because Israel is God's people, okay? Anybody remember anything else? So think about, put yourself in the context. He's sending them out. They've been hanging out with him. Where did Jesus cast the demoniacs out? In Gentile territory. Make sense? So he had already set the precedent of reaching out beyond the Jewish people. Okay? So Jesus, though, stops them and doesn't give them again authority to go wherever they want to go. He gives them a specific target area. Your job right now, guys, is to go to the house of Israel. They weren't ready yet. Well, they weren't ready yet. The world wasn't ready yet. Whatever it was. But who's... Whose responsibility is it to give the assignment? It's God's. Do you get it? You can go wherever you want to go. But if God didn't send you there, it's all meaningless. God gives them a specific assignment. Do you get it? The field is widened to harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray that the Lord will send the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Oh, by the way, I want you 12 to go. And by the way, I want you 12 to go to this field. 
There's no doubt in my mind God has placed us in this field. Literally, it was a field, right? God put us in this neighborhood. This is our field. I mean, there's nothing we, there's no way for us to even question this. So he tells his disciples, I want you to go to Israel. Okay? Now, we know, Paul stated in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe to the Jew first. Then also to the Gentile. But Paul lived this, okay? And as he went from city to city to city, where was the first place that Paul went? He went to the synagogue. And to the Jew first, okay? But interestingly, when Jesus then, before he left, he tells his 12 disciples, and I think by extension to us, he didn't limit them to, actually it was his 11 disciples, because Judas wasn't there, right? So 11 of the 12. So he he tells them, now I want you to go out and go and make disciples of all nations. He gives them the go-ahead to what? Start expanding it out. Okay? And so we read in Acts 1.8, then the progression that was going to happen. Jesus said that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall not might be, you shall be witnesses, just as I shall make you into fishers of men, you shall be witnesses unto me, in Jerusalem and all Judea, in Samaria, into the uttermost part of the world. There's going to be a progression. The gospel is going to reach out to all the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. It's going to spread into Samaria, and ultimately it's going to go where? Throughout the world. And so we see that happen in the book of Acts. The, the gospel spreading throughout Jerusalem and all Judea. But the church wouldn't go like Jesus had sent them and told them to go. They wouldn't go. They liked staying. And so God sent them what? Persecution. Acts 8.1. I always think, I mean, I know there's maybe nothing mystical to numbers, but sometimes I think God does oversee. So you go from Acts 1.8, where God said, I want you to do this, and the people said, well, we'd rather stay. So then you go to Acts 8.1, which is the opposite of it. And God, we read in Acts 8.1 that God sent the persecution, and he scattered the church. So that as the church scattered, what, ha- what do we read? It happens in the rest of Acts chapter 8. Does anybody remember it? That's when Philip goes to Samaria. And the gospel comes to the Samaritans. Just like Jesus had said he wanted it. To Jerusalem and all Judea, then to Samaria. And so the, who gets sent to, to Samaria to find out whether things are really happening? Peter. <laughs> Peter gets sent. That's exactly right. Peter goes. He's the one who has the altercation with Simon the, the sorcerer, right? And so, so it's Simon who's... Who's Simon? Uh, Simon Peter, who's hearing all this stuff, okay? And so Peter hears all this stuff, and then we go to Acts ten, because Acts chapter nine is the conversion of Saul, who becomes Paul. But but before, lest we think that God is using Paul, who is Saul, to open up the gospel to the Gentiles, we go back to Peter in Acts chapter ten, who was sent to Cornelius. Oh, that was the previous. Previous slide. Who was sent to Cornelius, 
who gives Cornelius the gospel, and all the Roman centurion's household gets saved, right? And so, it's in Acts 15, then when we have the, the Jerusalem council, when they're trying to debate upon, what do we do with all these Gentiles who are coming to faith? Whose word was it? Was it Paul's word? That was, was the, the heaviest word in that Jerusalem council? No, it was Peter's word. Because everybody knew that he was a Jew. And he was reaching out to the Jews. We're not quite sure about Paul right now. But Peter said, you guys know how it was through me that God took the gospel first to the Gentiles. Do you get it? So, Jesus comes to these disciples that he pulls aside by name and he gives them an assignment. And he tells them specifically that he wants them to go. Go. I want you to go. I want you to leave me. I want you to go. And I want you to go to the cities to the cities of Israel. Okay? And so, he says to them, don't go into the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter into the city of the Samaritans. So that's kind of reverse, you know, out, out of most part of the world, the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, and as you go, do what? Proclaim. We get their theme. I want you to proclaim. I want you to herald. So, note, this is very important to me, because down south, Classically, I'm called the, I'm the preacher, the preacher. What's your preacher's name? Oh, that's Bob Corbin. I am not the preacher. Actually, I'm a teacher. <laughs> Do you know who the preacher here is? All of us. Exactly right, Liam. You put your hand up. It was good. All of us. You all, you all, all y'all, all y'all, y'all are preachers. That's the end of the book of Mark. That's how Mark states the, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and herald, preach. Do you know, this is kind of fun for me. You know the word for, for proclaiming here? It's the word caruso. Have you ever heard that word before, caruso? You never probably didn't hear of it as a verb or whatever, though. What's it sound like to you? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say caruso? Say again. Oh, nope, not Corrals. Um, uh, Caruso? Really charismatic. Wow, this is kind of funny. I'm thinking of Enrique Caruso, the opera singer. That's exactly what this word means. Proclaim the gospel and just bout it out, man. That's what it means. It was the herald. So think of the king. And before the king, he would send his heralds. All rise for King Harold, or whatever his name is, you know, and, and just and you're just proclaiming the name, and they're going out, you know, and they and they would declare the glories of the king, so that as he came, the herald would go out. That's who we are. We're heralds of the king. We're supposed to go out and proclaim that the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. The same thing that we read that Jesus came and did. He said, "Repent, for the kingdom of." The heavens has drawn near. That was the same thing he told his disciples to do. Go out and proclaim the, the good news. Sadly, our lives are proclaiming a whole lot of stuff. And I wonder whether it, we're actually proclaiming what God wants us to proclaim. The theme 
was the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. But then God gave them the ability to have a testimony that went along with it. As you go, herald, proclaim, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Now, back in verse 1, we read that he called his disciples together and he gave them what? Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And so now in verse 8, when he's sending them out, he's actually commanding them now to do what? To heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the... Who's he telling to do this? His disciples. I want you to think about this some more. Because that sounds his disciples. Who's he telling to do this? Humans. Okay? So we went from disciples to humans. We're getting a little bit more um, to where we're at here. So that's good. Okay? So who did he tell? Good, Andrew. What, did I say it again? Uneducated fishermen. And a tax collector to boot. An IRS agent. I can't figure it out. Who'd want him? Oh, G-men on your, I mean, a T-men on your, on your squad, you know? He's got some uneducated fishermen, some zealots, who are in it for the wrong reason. One of these guys is Judas. Have you, you think about this? I mean, Judas kind of hung out with Jesus, and he, and he served. It's like Paul saying in Philippians chapter 1, some do it out of envy and strife, not sincerely, supposing it had affliction in my bonds. What then? Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Make sense? But, but he, he's giving them the authority and the command now to go out and to cast out demons, to heal sicknesses and diseases, and to raise the dead. That ought to kind of make you go willy wonkers, huh? Do you believe that you have the authority to cast out demons? Do you believe that you have the authority to heal sicknesses? Do you believe that you have the authority to even raise the dead? Do you really believe it? Not intellectually. Now, they didn't have the power. They had the what? Authority. Say again. In the name of Jesus. The power was God's. Whose job was it to give the task? Jesus's. Whose job was it to give the authority? Jesus's. I mean, this is a struggling verse here. Don't just read through it. Do you think Peter, James, John, Andrew, the uneducated fisherman, Matthew, the tax collector, some of these other guys, whatever their professions were, that they really had the ability 
Not in and of themselves, but the authority to raise the dead. I mean, it's one thing to cast out demons. It's one thing to maybe, you know, kind of cure somebody's headache because they had a little bit of Tylenol with them. No, not using Tylenol. But to literally raise somebody from the dead. Like they had seen Jesus do. Remember, Jesus is letting His disciples hang with them. They know what these commands mean. They know what it means to cast out unclean spirits and cast out demons. They know what it means to heal people who had sicknesses and illnesses and maladies and handicaps. They know what it looks like to raise somebody who at least everyone believes is dead. And in every one of these healings, Jesus continually goes back to your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has... The faith of the four friends who brought the young man with the the conversion disorder. Seeing their faith, he said to the young man. Faith, faith, faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Without faith, it is impossible... To please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Am I saying we're gonna, that every Sunday, you know, we bring Him in every day, that God's going to be doing all that? No. We're not talking necessarily about the signs and wonders and how they play out in our day to day. But I will not be put in a box with the label of secessionist because I am one of those in a sense. But I am not the, that, that, that ultra. God can do whatever He wants to do. And if God wants to raise a dead person through me, I believe God can do that. I've poured oil on people. I've prayed over people. I remember I joke about it. I've told you about it. Praying over somebody who had a, their back was hurting and later on my back started hurting. They were great. I mean, we're done praying with them. They got up. Their back didn't hurt. But later on in the day, my back started hurting. I'm like, oh Lord, this is not how I want it. I'm, I'm praying for a healing, not for a transfer. <laughs> but I sure understood that my brother then who had his back was hurting. When my back started hurting, I thought, oh Lord, I get it now. Okay, you just want me to have compassion for these people. Please take it away now. Anyways, <laughs> I get it. I learned my lesson. You know, because we play with that. We, we play with it. Do you know what Jesus did? He transferred it. He didn't just alleviate it. Think about when Jesus died on the cross. Do you know what was placed upon him? Do you know what he became? He became our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. Sickness is sickness because of sin in the world. Do you get it? When the fall happened, all this stuff started to come. And Jesus brought it all on Himself on the cross so it could be destroyed. Now He allows it. He allows it for His glory. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He allows it. But that's not to to walk away then from what is happening right here. 
Because Matthew 28, when we get there, and we read, Jesus says, All authority has been given unto me. Based upon that, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And whatsoever things I have taught you, and you teach them, whatsoever things I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. As, I mean, I, I believe this. As his message was consistent all the way through, I don't think it changed. I don't think we need signs and wonders necessarily in our land. But I think we're coming to a point where we probably do. We're not a church nation anymore. It's amazing how many people you meet and they don't know. Even people who are in church. I was talking to one just the other day, a little child who goes to church, and they didn't know who Noah was. They didn't know what an ark was. They go to church. They go to church. I can't imagine that. I went to a church that didn't necessarily preach the gospel all the time. I mean, it didn't have 45-minute messages, you know. They had nine-minute homilies, you know, and they were usually not from the Bible. They were just a good story. But I knew who Noah was. So we may be coming into a time, in the end times, when your young men will what? See visions. Do you get it? I mean, things like that start playing out. Do you believe? I mean, I want to, I want to, I know it's like kicking a dead horse, but maybe, I'm not saying you guys are dead horses, but, but do you get what I'm saying? I, I want to shake you in your core if you need to be shaken in your core of what you believe. Do you believe that God can do it? Because if you don't believe it, it ain't going to happen. That's just a fact. If the four friends of the, of the, of the, paralytic didn't believe that Jesus could heal him, the paralytic would still be sitting in his house. Now, I know he'd be dead and decayed by now. But anyways, but you get what I'm saying. Faith drives the cart. They were going to have signs and wonders. They were going to give testimony. So I've shared about people I know in other lands, and I'm not going to go through that, where they've seen signs and wonders. They were amazed themselves. But God wanted to use them to give testimony to the gospel being sent forth. Those days may come today. Not literally today, but, but note what he says at the very end there when he, when he gives them this testimony. Freely you have received freely give. This is our transitional because we'll talk the rest of the chapter transitions with this. But freely you have received. Freely give. I got a big problem with a lot of preachers today, preachers today, who want to do all their healings and they want to do all these things charging the whole long way. As we're going to see next week, more in detail. But note what Jesus puts right with this. You haven't got this authority on your own. You didn't get it on your own. You didn't work for this thing. I'm what? I'm giving it to you, not so you can sell it to somebody else. 
Not so you can lord it over somebody else. Not so that you can be some, be some more important, glorious individual than somebody else. And we're going to see next week where he tells them to live and how to live. Not in big, glamorous houses. You received it freely. You give it freely. You're only a steward of somebody else's power who gave you the authority to use it. Not for your glory, but for the glory of your master. The glory of the one who really owns it. I hope I'm not beating on you. I don't want me beating on you. That's not what my content is. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to give you that splunkitsumai, that passion that Jesus had when he looked at the people. And instead of looking at them as ones who are in the way, to see them as Jesus sees them. They were made in his image and in his likeness. He was going to die for them. He wanted them to be a part of his kingdom, a part of, part of who he was, to be disciples with these other disciples. And only if I believe that he wants that and that he's given me the authority to reach them. One of the things I've been praying for, um, my pillars are growing. I think he just actually gave me two more this morning, so now I have 12 pillars. But the four primary pillars of my life that as, a, as the temple of, of God, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, purity, passion, privilege, and power. Purity, passion, privilege, and power. I can tell you the other eight that kind of surround it and are supporting pillars to the whole thing. I want to be, I want to be holy. Because he's holy. I, I, I want to be pure. I'm not. I fight my brain all the time. I mean, the battles that are there. You guys get it? I want to be pure. But I want to have his passion. I want a passion for the lost that he has. I want to see people the way he sees them. I want to be impassioned for the things of God. I get very impassioned for the things of man. I want to be impassioned for the things of God. In doing that, that I want, I, I, I want the privilege to teach His Word, to share His Word. Not just teach it here, but to share it with other people. But with it, I want to have eyes that are open to see the privileges that He gives me. The opportunities. And then I want power. And if it includes... Healing people and raising people from the dead, then praise God, do it. I want power upon me as I proclaim His message, as He gives me the privilege, and I'm obedient to do it with the passion that He has. So people come to know Him. So in the end, what are your thoughts when you see a mass of people? Do you look at them through the eyes of the Messiah or through the eyes of the world? I have to admit, this is the area that I changed. I have to cha continually change the way I think. I continually look at people through the eyes of the world. And the news media is trying to influence how you see, see people. On the ultra left or on the ultra right, it doesn't matter. It's still a matter of forget both sides. Think the way God thinks. What field are you serving in? Are you praying for the lost? 
what field are you serving in? I mean, literally, you can say, well, and I'm not saying everybody has to come on Tuesday night. That's not where I'm going with this, okay? Are you, are you purposefully, purposefulness is one of my other supporting piece of my pillars. Are you purposefully seeking to reach out in the field in which God has placed you? Whether it's your neighborhood or whatever, whether it's out on the lake, and you're having dinners then so that people can come in. You guys, I rejoice in the Lord for you guys, George and Phyllis. I didn't necessarily agree with the move. Make sense? But I rejoice in what God has been doing through you guys. It's so exciting. Purposefulness. To see the field and to address it purposefully. What am I doing to reach the loss? Am I just expecting the fish to, to come and jump into my, into my car and say, hey man, can you teach me Jesus? I mean, Philip at least had to go into the eunuch's chariot and ask him, what are you reading? The Ethiopian eunuch didn't see Philip kind of on the side and say, hey, maybe I'll go over there, maybe that guy can teach me something. What commitment do you need to make to the Lord of the harvest? Where is he that he's sending you? I, I, look, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, I promise you, your, your command has been given to you just as it's been given to me, just as it's been given to anybody else, to go. The fields are wide unto harvest. The laborers are few. And just as he took those 12, he wants to take us. Where is he sending you? Are you even open to asking him? Are you open to changing the course of your life if he sends you someplace where you didn't think you were going? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that we would be impassioned I would be impassioned for your things, the things of God, for the things of heaven. Lord, that I would be impassioned for people, Lord, as you are. That I would look on them with compassion, not with frustration. Not as those who are getting in my way. Lord, that I would by faith believe that I can move mountains. I can heal diseases. I can even raise the dead if that's what you want from me. Lord, did I wouldn't doubt you. It's not a matter about me. I'm not worthy of anything. I have no power, no authority within myself. But it only comes from you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people, your body, who would be truly looking to you as the head. And Lord, that we would believe by faith that you could do these things. You want to do these things. That you would be glorified, that you would be magnified. And Lord, that we wouldn't just play a game, but that we would be empowered by you. And that we would see those living in our neighborhoods and those who are living in this neighborhood, those who are living in this community. Lord, we would see a revival we would see a great awakening. We would see the harvest coming in. And we would be willing to set aside everything to join you in that work. Because it's all about you. It's all about your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.